you. Last week we saw that hope uh, leads to peace. Today we will see that peace uh, provides the conditions within which joy can come into the world, for joy to flourish. Peace provides the conditions within which joy can flourish. If you remember a few weeks back, we, we finished a long series looking at the, the Johannine epistles or 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And on that last Sunday, uh, we used a phrase from, from the letter and also a phrase that was very common, uh, especially in Greek culture before that, uh, imitate the good. And if you remember or recall that uh, for, for the Greeks... Um, Imitating the goodness. It was this was what life was about. You you would you would look to uh, to men and to women who had who believed had achieved the good and lived good lives, and then you would sort of emulate them. We talked about apprenticeship and, and the way that we learn in that way. Now the goal of living the good life for the Greeks was happiness. Um, now, a lot of these terms, you know, we can, we can debate the way that we use them. So I'm just using some of the classic ways of understanding these terms. Happiness, as defined by Aristotle, uh, if you know this, the activity of the soul in accordance with virtue. In other words, happiness is what happens inside with, with your being when you're, when you're acting and living uh, like according to goodness, to virtue, when you're doing the right thing. You, you feel good. You, you are good. You experience goodness. That's happiness. It's kind of a long-standing... It's something you, you, you aim for, you work towards, and it's not a momentary fleeting thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a long-standing thing that you achieve at some point in your life and hopefully live, uh, live into it. So happiness, um, which is basically living the good life, is something you work towards, you, you strive towards it, uh, and you pursue it. So you work for it. Now, happiness and joy are quite similar. And, and again, in our, in, in our parlance today, in the way that we use words, you know, they, we can, words can mean all kinds of things. We're a little less technical than uh, maybe we were in the old days, than people were um, in the old days. But, but uh, if you'll allow me, happiness and joy are, are quite similar but at least for today, I'm going to say there's one key distinction. So again, I'm going to look back to the, to the Greek terms, since we are looking at the New Testament here, uh, to help understand these. So happiness uh, comes, it's the, the Greek word eudaimonia. Yeah, I don't have to spell that for you, you can just figure it out yourself. Or just remember it, there won't be a test. Eudaimonia, happiness. And again, I've kind of just explained quickly, happiness is, it is sort of a feeling, uh, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a long-suffered, long-earned thing bought with hard work and effort. Uh, you, you practice it. You, you, you strive for a good, happy life. So more than just kind of a feeling of I'm happy, right? Um, joy, on the other hand, is quite similar Used in very similar ways, but it comes from a very different word. The Greek word for joy is kara. So if you know anybody named kara, that's what that comes from. Kara, which is the root or the same basic word as charis. Anybody know what charis means in Greek? Maybe? That means grace. 
uh, grace. So one, I think, key distinction between happiness and joy is that the giftedness of it. So grace, ultimately, right, we, we can't earn grace. We can't earn God's favor. We can't earn God's grace. It's a gift given to us. Right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me, for us. It's something that we don't deserve and yet we're given. So joy, I think, uh, at least for the purposes of today, very similar to happiness. It is a feeling, it is, but it's more than just a momentary feeling. It's, a, it's something that you, like a quality within which your whole life kind of uh, inhabits eventually. But the difference is that while you do work towards it, and that's, that's a good thing, it also has an element of giftedness that God gives it to you. So joy, to me, is happiness plus the graciousness of God that you can't earn, but that you were given. And of course, part of that is that you learn to be able to see it, right? Because that's one reason I'm a Wesleyan, is I do believe God blesses all, the sinner and, and the righteous person. But it takes something to, be, to begin to see that and to notice. Like sometimes we do that retrospectively. We're able to look back and say, wow, God was really blessing me in those dark days. When I was making those really stupid decisions, God was nonetheless blessing me, right? That's, I believe that anyways. So, uh, so joy, simply put, is happiness, which is something we work towards, plus grace. Okay? At least that's how I'm going to say it today. Now, in our passage today from James, um, I was tempted more to, to preach some of the other passages, but this was our passage chosen in our, in our uh, book, so I'm going to stick with our James passage today. In our passage today, James does what James often does, and he uses organic farming imagery to talk about, uh, to, to, to illustrate his points. James uh, has a, a culture and a context around him uh, that's very kind of agrarian. Definitely uh, people are under, they're understanding his farming imagery because this is, uh, this is what he uses time and again in his book. <laughs> In his letter, I should say. And in this letter, uh, he talks about, and in this passage, uh, he talks about a farmer uh, waiting for the rains, for the, for the crops to grow. Now, of course, it's a bit different today, at least here in the United States. But for his time, this was a perfect image to illustrate joy and our like having to wait because if you think about it, at the time, uh, if you're a farmer, a farming family, right? Because it, it was a whole family affair. Um, you would you would tend the field. You would prepare it. You'd, you'd put the seeds in, right? You'd sow the seeds. Uh, you would weed as as necessary. You would pull the weeds. Irrigation, though. Um, was something that, that there wasn't a lot of irrigation. The, that's one thing the Romans are famous for is bringing, uh, you know, aqueducts and, and more uh, systematic, deliberate irrigation. Um, but farmers could do things like if they were close to rivers, they would try to, you know, dig little paths to get water. They would do lots of carrying water. But for the most part, you're dependent on on the divine, right? For for rain and for sunshine. So you do work. If you don't do that work, you're not going to harvest a crop. But whether or not that crop is going to actually grow to the point that you will harvest it is kind of out of your hands. 
And then you factor in things like, you know, some years uh, you, you, you get the seed in too early and then there, it starts to grow and there's a late freeze or maybe there's a really early freeze or maybe you have uh, pests, uh, bugs that come through, hailstorms, all kinds of things that are completely out of your hands. You do the work like happiness. You do the work to pursue this and to try to cultivate happiness. But there's also a sense that it's out of your hands and there's a giftedness to, uh, to this. And he, and he uses this image to talk about joy. Now, of course, it's a little different today. Most farmers, at least in North America, use heavy irrigation, whether it's canals or those giant sprinklers or, you know, all kinds of things, planes. There's all kinds of ways of doing this. Um, but it's a good, good image, especially maybe you're a, maybe you're a home farmer. Maybe you have a little, little, uh, uh, bed in your, in your backyard, or maybe you just like to grow flowers. And you know that certain times a year, if you're not persistent about watering them, they're going to die, right? You have to take care of these things. And if you lived in a place where that was really, really difficult, it would be even harder. I think of um, the last two years in Kenya, we did lots of traveling around, and you don't really, see, they do lot, lots and lots of farming. Uh, the number two avocado producer in the world, the number one rose producer in the world, um, come from Kenya. But you don't see the big, um, I don't even know what they call them, sprinklers, the big giant sprinklers, things like that. They don't have the water, they have access to it. They're dependent on the rains and, and the rainy seasons and, and all that. They're in a drought right now over there. Um, farmers know these things. I, I, I once had the opportunity to spend about six months as an interim pastor in a little tiny farming community near my hometown when we moved back from Scotland and before we took, uh, took a full-time job. And uh, it was so, so interesting and beautiful to, to get to know these people and just how, how connected they were to the land. And, you know, uh, things would have to change or stop at any moment based on the need to, to bring in the crop or, or, or to get out and take care of this or that issue. And uh, I just tried to sit back and learn and watch them because there's so many biblical uh, illustrations that are farming-based. Uh, maybe you have a history in this or maybe you know about that, but um, that connectedness to the land. Perfect imagery, I think, to talk about cultivating, which is what he wants to talk about here, cultivating joy and what that will mean. So when we wait on the rain, and you know this, like even just those of you, I love succulents and I love to grow flowers and uh, sometimes we'll do a raised bed garden in our house. Um, but you know that, that there's a, you can water something. You can get water from your tap or, or whatever. Uh, you can be really good and not throw away those bottles of water and instead go and use them before you throw the bottles out. I hope you do that. And it helps the plants. But isn't it amazing how, like, if it's dry and you've been watering your plants and then there's even just a light rain, it, it's like ten times more effective than the water that came out of your tap. Isn't it amazing? Right? And it's that way everywhere that I've experienced. So, again, we do work in farming. And whether it's growing your little cactus plant in your window or your giant raised bed gardens in your backyard or whether you are a farming family. Right? You do work, you plant seeds, you pull the weeds, you try to take care, you try to get rid of pests, whether or not you use pesticides or whatever, a whole different subject. But 
There is a sense that you are also dependent on something completely out of your hands. And especially in the ancient world, this was the case. Waiting on rain for James is kind of like waiting on the Lord. And he says, this is what we're doing. We're waiting on the Lord. And while we wait on the Lord, don't grumble. It's kind of a funny transition he makes, but it's a good one. Because that is one thing we do when we wait, is we grumble. Uh, maybe not you. I sometimes grumble. I'm not the most patient person. My children are way less patient than me. Um, maybe you can relate to this. I think this is probably the most difficult period of the whole farming process because it's out of your control. If you're a busy, hands-on guy or gal and you're out there tending your plants, it gets a little frustrating that this big, long, inter, in, in, you know, in-between period, you know, there's not a lot you can do except try, you know, pull some weeds here and there and look out for bugs. And it's easy in that to start grumbling about the weather or this or that or whatever's happening. James says, you know, I think the same is true for us as we wait for the Lord. We're in that phase where he says in our passage, he's coming soon. But of course, as we've seen every week, but soon is relative, clearly. And while we wait, let us not grumble. Uh, in uh, uh, C.S. Lewis taught in his uh, The Great Divorce, he uses the image that somebody becomes a grumble. You grumble so much, you, you become like a walking grumble. That could happen, I think. So the, 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 uh, the phrase that comes to my mind as I read this passage and I think about the farming imagery that he uses and cultivating joy is active patience. So we're supposed to have active patience. Not just sitting around idly hoping that everything's going to work out. But also, uh, you, know, we, you can work and work and work to death and you might not have a crop. You have to be active and do your part. And you also have to be patient and allow the things that are out of your hands to come to pass. Now, nobody likes this stage, right? Supposedly, there's a time for everything. You know that old classic rock song by the birds? Turn, 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 in every season, turn, turn, right? Which, of course, is just based on Ecclesiastes. So it's okay, it's a church song. Um, but if you pay attention to the lyrics, there's a time for everything except waiting. There is no lyric in every season, wait. There's a time for waiting. No, there's a time for dying and living and everything else and war and peace, hopefully. But there's no time for waiting because nobody likes waiting. It's funny, but it's true. And today, this is even more difficult. We are losing the ability to wait on anything. You all know this more than I do, but I remember the days when you, know, you, you meet a girl at camp and you hope that she'll write you a letter. And it will come in the mail. Or I try to tell the kids about what it was like when you have a phone on your wall that you have to sort of wait for it to ring. And if somebody's on it, then it won't ring. And you have to wait longer. These things. You know, today we have text and we have email. And if you know what you're doing, not only that, but you have push notifications or read notifications. So you know that's the worst thing. People of a younger generation than me uh, think that, well, it, I don't like to say no, so I just won't respond. Well, I know you read the email or the text, so just tell me no. It's fine to say no, but tell me no, because I can actually see the moment you read it. 
Right? We don't have to wait on anything. If we don't have the internet, I, we used to make jokes about taking kids to camp and you'd have a kid like up in some corner of a room holding a cell phone because in this one spot they have reception. Right? Well, now we have mobile hotspots and uh, all kinds of things like that. Uh, and, and, and there's internet everywhere. We don't have to wait on anything. And because we don't have to wait on anything, we're even worse at waiting. Right? He says, the day is near, but not yet, and there's no grumbling. Hmm. And that's where, that's where we live today. That's what Advent is about, but it's also a good reminder, because that's where the church, that's where we find ourselves today. And you can't help but read that and think, you know, are we in this active waiting? Are we inviting? Are we welcoming to others? Are, is there something appealing about us to those around us? Or are we grumblers and we're driving people away? We had a good conversation about this in our church board meeting recently. I think that we're pretty good at this as a congregation. But of course we could always be better. But do we cultivate, are we actively waiting? Are we cultivating joy? Are we okay with the unknown or does it fill us with fear and then we start grumbling and complaining and griping? Or do we just find ways to be positive and embrace what is in front of us? Are we inviting? Or are we driving others away? Now the crop that we're waiting on is joy. That's the crop that we're cultivating, that we're hoping to, to reap. It's joy. Are we cultivating that crop? Are we doing what we can? Knowing that ultimately gift is a part of that. Grace is a part of that. But we have a role to play. As we close, I think it's clear that cultivation in this sense that James talks about and that I'm trying to get at, that there's a balance of hard work and patience. Uh, hard work, doing the things that we're supposed to do, um, taking responsibility for yourself, learning from others, watching how others have, have, have achieved happiness and joy, and then pursuing those sorts of choices yourself, making the difficult decisions, not cutting corners, trying to be a virtuous person, family, and yet also waiting and realizing, I can't do all of this on my own. I have to trust and wait. And then there's, a, there's an issue of how do we wait, which is what James is, is talking about here. Do we wait with patience and with happiness or do we grumble? And he says at the end, look at the prophets as an example of this. Um, they're a great example for us to look at. And of course, they are a great example. We talked about this a little bit in the Sunday school class I was in with the adults. But I've mentioned this before, being a prophet was not a, a luxurious position they're tasked with, with proclaiming the, the word of the Lord to the people, which often is unpleasant or difficult, and then waiting. Waiting for them to be rejected and killed. Waiting for God to deliver on God's promises. Lots of knowing what's going to happen or what's supposed to happen, and yet having no idea when that's going to happen, and just having to be faithful in between. The prophets are tasked with declaring the words of the Lord, good and bad, welcome and challenging, and then waiting on it to come to pass. So, in Advent, 
what we see is that we have to actively wait for God to deliver us into joy, for God to move. We have to actively wait. We have to do our part, and we have to be patient. As I thought about that this week, one image came to mind. I'm going to, let's see if we can go to, there's a picture. We'll see if anybody knows where this place is, if we're able to go to that. It's a beautiful place. Anybody been here or know what this is? This is the Holy Isle of Lindisfarne. Okay, you were right. Uh, northeast, northeast England, uh, just up around the the the, uh, the, the Scottish border. Um, so this is a place that is um, very very old. Supposedly, uh, Saint Aidan and some of the early uh, missionaries uh, settled here. Uh, it's a, um, a causeway uh, and high tide. The, uh, there's no way to get to it except for a boat. Low tide drops down where you can drive uh, across a little land bridge, and it happens every day, kind of like clockwork, and they make a big deal because if you miss the, if you miss it, you're stuck there overnight. Um, so, uh, a kind of an abbey, a monastery built there, the, uh, a retreat place, and at least the history goes, the story goes that um, on this little island. Uh, uh, Saint Aidan settled there with some of the other, um, um, you know, priests, monks, so forth, and they were trying to spread the gospel to the to the pagan peoples in northern Europe and here to northern uh, what we now call Scotland. And of course, Scott, the Scots or the um, the Celts were were wild folk, were feared. Uh, it wasn't easy to to take the gospel to them. And so what what they did, and if you go there, I. I can't find my own pictures of this for, uh, I don't know why, but as you can kind of see the hill that it's on, as you walk around it, you'll notice, if you ever go, there are these little um, nooks, kind of on, like, I don't know, enclave, not a cave, but just enough that you have a little bit of shelter from the constant wind that is, that is there. And what they would do for, for 24 hours a day, every day, for years, they would have somebody posted at a few of these, and you could see the mainland, and they would pray. And so for, for years, every day, all the time, somebody, they'd take turns, and they would be just looking at what is now Scotland and northern England, and they would be praying for God to soften the soil for them, to, to make a way for them, uh, so that they would be able to bring the gospel uh, to these you know, heathen peoples, right, in the north. And eventually, eventually they did. Um, but that image stuck with me when I was there, just walking those steps and, and just the idea that, you know, we often think of monks as, as these, you know, reclusive people that don't, you know, there's, there's no benefit to the world. They're just like running from, from society and they're hiding off in, you know, some, some cave or something like that. But in reality, uh, at least the faithful side of that ascetic tradition, you have examples like this where, yes, they're withdrawn from the world, but with the purpose of praying for the world, trying to find ways to serve the world. And in this case, taking the time, that wouldn't suit me very well. Taking the time day after day to just sit and look and know, God, I know you want us. I know you want me to, to take the gospel there. Um, it's not going to be easy. And, and so I'm just going to spend all this time just praying that you would prepare the way. Praying that you would provide for us. Praying that we would be okay. And that if not, that if it, even if it means dying, that you would use our death 
to convey the gospel to these people. What a, what a powerful image, I think, of active patience. And it, it paid off. It did, you know, of course, we can say what we want today about the, you know, secular Europe and, and, and the UK, but for, you know, a thousand years uh, longer, uh, the gospel has been there and, and has been, um, you know, very, very well received, uh, or it was anyways, and I think a lot of it was because of things like this. So as we think about uh, what J- James's words and this active patience today, Maybe that's what it looks like in our lives. We have to we have to do the part, we have to do the work of farming, but we also have to recognize that we have to sit back and wait for God as well. And that as we do so, that's not being lazy. That's not um, you know ignoring our our responsibility. It's seeking God's will. It's praying. It's saying, "Hey God, only you can do this. I'm doing my part." But I have to wait for you. I have to, I have to prepare, uh, you know, prepare for you to move. I have to watch. And so maybe it's the image of sitting on one of these little, little coves and, and looking out at where God is, you know, maybe looking out at Longmont or Boulder or Denver or Colorado or the United States or the whole world and saying, God, I know that you're on the move. I know that you will be. And I know you're calling us to serve. And so we wait. But as we wait, we actively wait and we fill ourselves up with this. Uh, this prayer, there's another one here. Oh, it's going to be hard to see. So I'm going to read it for us. Um, and you can find this online as well. It's, it's called the Prayer of St. Aidan. I'm going to read this before we have our takeaways. Leave me alone with God as much as may be as the tide draws the waters close in upon the shore. Make me an island set apart. Alone with you, God, holy to you. Then, with the turning of the tide, prepare me to carry your presence to the busy world beyond, the world that rushes in on me, till the waters come again and fold me back to you. What a powerful image, but I think it's just as, relati- just as relevant 1,500 years later as it was back then in the late 6th century. Make me an island set apart. May I be alone with you, God, holy. But then, as the tide turns, prepare me to carry your presence into the world, the busy world beyond, the world that rushes in upon me. But when that happens, you will fold me back into you, he says. May that be our prayer. May that be an Advent prayer for us as we do something very similar in our world today. Three takeaways, real quick. First, hope leads to peace. And peace, it's hard to cultivate joy if we don't have peace. Peace provides the context within which joy can grow. Okay? It provides the context within which joy can grow. And remember, joy is something, uh, number two, that must be cultivated. It's very similar to happiness, which according to the Greeks anyways, was something you worked towards. You strived to achieve happiness by doing goodness, by living a good life. But also with it comes the reception of God's grace that you can't earn, that you have to receive. You have to learn to look for it, which is one of the things those monks were doing. The third, 
is that cultivation requires a balance of sustained hard work and patience. We have to work towards joy. We have to work towards what, who, what, who and what God has called us to, to be and to do. And yet also we have to pray and we have to retreat. We have to reflect and allow God to move and watch for God to move. Sometimes God, sometimes we find that God's already moving and we missed, we missed it. Uh, or maybe God's going to move in a way that we didn't expect. We talked about this last week. And so some, some patience and prayer is good to create a space so we can see, oh, God is moving in that way. Like last week, you mean, God, you're, you're going to move amongst the Gentiles? But God did. Thanks be to God. Let us be people that cultivate joy. Amen. Lord, may we be an island unto you. Uh, I think often we need a moment of, of reprieve. We need a, a, a moment to step back as the world bustles around us and rushes around us. As things become confusing and challenging and fearful. We need you. And we, we ask that you would make us holy people. I ask that, that times like our worship services, like Bible studies, like fellowship times, would be times where we're able to, to sort of retreat and regroup, find joy and comfort in the, in the presence of others of faith. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to do that, to turn and to look back to the world that you're calling us to. To look for your movement, for your sign. Tell us how we can serve you in the world. Help us to actively wait. Uh, and, to, and as we do so, to cultivate joy. You have given us joy. Help us to see it. Help us to live into it, to embrace it, and to experience it ourselves. In the name of your Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, if you'll stand, receive the benediction as we prepare to go out into the world, the world that rushes in on us. May you actively, may you go forth in active patience, actively serving the Lord in all that you do, and yet patiently waiting on His return. In all of this, may you experience joy. Go in peace. You're dismissed. Don't forget, I think there's a quick meeting for men who want to help sing next week up here.
two. They're not moving. No. Test one, two. Huh. Nothing. Nothing. Because this is showing, still showing that yeah. it's getting a signal. Yeah. But those are not desktop. So maybe it is in the computer and not that plug. So it's just showing that it is test one. That it's getting it to the computer. Yeah. Well. So that must might be in the computer connection.
Test one, two. No, still no reaction. Test, test, test. Huh. Controls. Sources. So those are the two. Mm -hmm. No, at least one of those is on there. No, that be a capture device. We lost our audio on our live stream. Yeah. We can't figure it out. Oh, we just got something going. Now it's working. Test. The other bars are on now. I don't, yeah, but the one's not, desktop audio is not on. One, two, one, two. Weird. Why did it start working now? And I didn't change anything. One, two, one, two. Test, 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 test. Yeah, but the desktop audio is not signaling, but the other two are signaling. So, I mean, usually I thought we had three, but anyways, now there's a change, and I just clicked this thing. So we, I don't know if we want how to test it, would, I guess, would be to push the record button and then play it back. Okay, so controls... Start recording. Test one, two, three, four. Test one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We should plug this back into the back. We do have some yeah. headphones. I wonder if we're going to have to change the audio, though, if I change it back. Change it on. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. yeah. I think we, I think we want the audio plugged in the back. Oh. Yeah, but why is it, I just wonder why this was on the red. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, because I don't think we've changed it. 
No, no one has pers has on purposely changed it. No. I guess we'll try it. Yeah, I can't hardly see it, but it's got that icon that's got three, like a fork. Okay. And I don't know, is that S video or what? I don't know what that is. I don't is. know what that is, honestly. And then there's a blue one back there too. And it shows broadcasting audio. Sure. So that's good. That's a good sign. Yeah, we're back to where we were. On that, anyways. Okay. So now we could do another. Testing one, two, three, test one, two, three, test, 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 one. Now we have to put it in the headphones uh, yeah. to see if it recorded. Yeah. Yeah. 